Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. How would you like to look 5 years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking 5 years younger at 6 months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. From the blackest corners of your mind, they call, pulling you deep into shadow, twisting your senses, keeping you from sleep. It's time to face your darkest fears. This is Tales to Terrify. Good evening, children of the night, and welcome. Well, we're here. We've made it. We've crossed through 50 states and covered everything from conspiracy theories to cryptids, murders to haunted mansions, ancient legends to modern-day terrors. This week, we're taking one giant leap clear across the country and landing right next to where we started. With the sheer amount of history surrounding Washington, D.C., it's no surprise that it's often considered one of the most haunted cities in the country. Battles, murders, assassinations, there's plenty in the capital city's past to leave a lasting impression. Most major landmarks in the city have at least a handful of haunts associated with them. From the infamous apparition of Abraham Lincoln cruising corridors in the White House, to the demon cat of the Capitol building, 
whose appearance foreshadows major tragic events and changes in government leadership. But there's one tale that seems to rise above the rest in terms of its influence on our genre. If you've never heard of Roland Doe, you're not alone. Doe wasn't actually his last name, of course, and apparently Roland wasn't his first either. But after everything he went through as a child, it's no surprise that he'd want to separate himself from those stories and experiences. Most sources seem to claim his identity is that of Ronald Hunkler. Ronald grew up in the suburbs of Washington, D.C., and had what seemed to be a relatively normal upbringing. An only child, he often relied on family members for play and entertainment. In particular, he'd formed a strong bond with his Aunt Harriet. Harriet was a spiritualist and would talk at length with Ronald about the afterlife and the supernatural. But what really seemed to pique his interest was when she began to teach him how to use the Ouija board. Now, whether the board played any role in Ronald's troubles isn't clear. It kind of falls out of reference after this. But there's no doubt it formed part of the bond, at least of shared interests, between Ronald and his aunt. When Aunt Harriet died suddenly, Ronald was devastated. She was his closest friend, and without her, he withdrew, becoming despondent and uncommunicative with his family. But while his grief shrouded him in silence, the home around him became anything but. The family began to hear voices coming from Ronald's room, and objects would move around the house without anyone seeming to touch them. It was subtle enough at first that it made the family question themselves. But Ronald swore there was something else going on. He could hear scratching coming from inside the walls and beneath the floorboards in his room. And some nights, he'd be awoken by his mattress being moved or shaken. The presence was mischievous, but it didn't seem harmful, and almost felt a little familiar. Maybe Aunt Harriet wasn't as gone as they believed. But while she's thought to be one of the first spirits to visit Ronald, things quickly began to escalate past the seemingly friendly visitations of a dead relative. The voices became angry and aggressive, and furniture and other items were levitated or thrown around the house with increasing frequency and violence. What started out as something seemingly innocent, strange and unnerving, sure, but not dangerous, soon escalated to outright terror. The family began to fear for their own safety, and especially Ronald's, who seemed to be at the center of it all. The activity, after all, only seemed to happen when he was around. Not sure what else to do, the family sought the help of every expert they could think of, doctors, psychiatrists, and behaviorists, finally turning in desperation to their pastor, Luther Schultz. Schultz, coincidentally, had been interested in parapsychology for years and arranged for Ronald to stay at his house for a night so he could observe the boy. During the night, Schultz experienced similar phenomenon, furniture that dragged itself across the floor 
and household objects launching into the air. This was out of his league, Schultz told them in the morning, exhausted from the long, sleepless night. Whatever was going on with Ronald was beyond his understanding, and his help. They needed to talk to the Jesuits. It didn't take long after contacting their local Catholic church for the priest to request permission to perform an exorcism. In late February of 1949, Father Albert Hughes invited the family to Georgetown University Hospital, a Jesuit institution, in order to perform an exorcism. After setting out his Bible and holy icons, the priest had Ronald strapped down to a bed. The exorcism process was both dangerous and disturbing to witness, he warned the family. The evil being that had inhabited their son's body wasn't going to leave it by choice. They would have to fight it, to extract it. And that would take time and a lot of energy on both his part and the boy's. As Father Hughes began the rites of exorcism, reading scripture and invoking the holy powers, Ronald began to struggle against his bonds. The further the priest read, the more violent Ronald struggled. But as the priest became more and more deeply absorbed in the ritual, he failed to notice that Ronald, in his thrashing, had managed to slip a hand free from his bonds and work a spring loose from the mattress. Without warning, the boy tore the sharp metal coil from the bed and lashed out at the priest, slicing through his robes and leaving a deep crimson gash across his shoulders. The priest cried out and dropped his Bible, effectively ending the exorcism almost before it had started. After that, the symptoms of Ronald's possession only became worse, as though the spilling of the priest's blood awoke the hunger of whatever was inside. Strange sounds and levitating objects were the least of their worries now. It was physically attacking Ronald, leaving long, ragged claw marks on the boy's body, raised in raw gashes that emerged on his flesh before their very eyes, wounds that began to form shapes and even words. But when the word Lewis appeared on the boy's body, his mother seized on it. The word was the only real clue they'd had so far, and she had family in St. Louis, Missouri. That must be it, she decided. They needed to go to St. Louis to seek help for her son. So, not knowing what else to do, they packed up and went to stay with family in St. Louis, hoping to escape the chaos and fear that had invaded their lives, to leave it behind in D.C. But while the family's hopes were high, escape, of course, could never be that easy. The entity was attached to Ronald, after all, not to their home in Washington. They wasted little time before getting in touch with the local Catholic church upon arrival, though, and the two priests that visited their home repeatedly over the next couple of weeks were just as quick to request permission for another exorcism, writing to the church authorities of their experiences. The shaking bed, flying objects, and strange guttural voice emerging from the boy's throat, like the deep crackle of an open flame. The priests returned night after night, attempting to better understand and hopefully purge the entity possessing the boy. 
After weeks of monitoring, weeks of attempted exorcisms, the only real conclusion they had reached was that the possession seemed to be limited to nighttime. That and the entity within Ronald didn't appreciate their constant attempts to expel it. The boy was becoming increasingly angry and violent, screaming and swearing at the men to leave in his demonic voice. His parents had finally had enough. Ronald was admitted to St. Louis's Alexian Brothers Hospital, where a more focused and intense exorcism could be performed. Three priests were in attendance this time and prepared for a serious fight. They weren't going to underestimate the demon this time. It was a grueling process that took its toll on each of the priests in attendance, and most of all, on Ronald. The boy's body writhed and shook and contorted in fury and agony. He uttered strange words in an unearthly voice, and his body was slashed with marks of all shapes and sizes, including the words evil and hell. As the priests began to read the litany of the saints portion of the ritual, the mattress beneath the boy began to rumble and shake violently, straining against the bonds holding it to the bed frame. At one point, one of the priests made the mistake of getting too close to the boy, and Ronald's head collided with the man's face, breaking his nose. But after what felt like hours of ritual, of reciting scripture, invoking divine help, and brandishing holy objects, Ronald's body suddenly fell silent and still. A slackness washed across his face, and for the first time in what must have felt like a lifetime, the boy looked at peace. He was conscious just long enough to whisper two words, He's gone. He fell into a deep, restful sleep, chests gently rising and falling. According to the account of one of the priests in attendance, Ronald went on to lead a relatively normal life afterward. He experienced no more strange happenings or demonic visitations. If this whole tale sounds incredibly familiar, that's because these true happenings form the basis for a novel also based in Washington, D.C., a book whose movie adaptation is more popular still. And while the story takes a few creative liberties with its source material, it's one that remains a linchpin of our genre to this day. That's right, I'm talking of The Exorcist. Now, why don't we see what demons of our own we can conjure up? Our first story this evening comes from Irene Cantizano Bescos. Irene Cantizano Bescos is a writer from Spain. Her nonfiction has appeared in Spanish and British publications such as El País, Telva, and Positive News. She recently won Castilla y León International Fantasy Film Festival's Short Story Competition and the Series Flash Fiction Competition 2019. Somehow, she has ended up living in England with a husband, two cats, and a brand new milk-gulping monster. Children of the night, join me for Irene Cantazano Bescos's The Surstroming's Chest of Drawers, a Tales to Terrify original. 
afternoon, and thank you for calling Gloom. Please note that your call may be recorded for training and monitoring purposes. My name is Peter. How can I help? Hi. So, I bought the Sistroming chest of drawers, and I'm having some trouble assembling it. I was wondering if you could help me. Sorry, did you say that you bought the Sistrinkan chest of drawers? No, sorry. I bought the Sistrinkan chest of drawers. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Could you please spell that for me? Yeah, one second.、Uh, let me see the instructions. Here it is S U R S T R. Oh, I see. The Suhebnauko picture set. Doesn't that come pre assembled?、Uh, no, no, sorry. It's a chest of drawers. The Sustromings chest of drawers. S U R S T R O M M I N G S. A chest of drawers. Of course, sir. The Sustromings chest of drawers. No need to keep repeating it. We have received some calls about this product today. What seems to be the problem? Well, I'm following the assembly manual, but when I reach step 11, the screws don't fit, and I can't quite close the drawer. Just what I thought. As I said, we've had a number of customers contacting us today for the same issue. It seems that the manual was printed incorrectly. But don't worry, sir, the solution is very easy. The only thing that you need to do is switch the order of the steps and do number 9 before number 7 and number 13 before number 11. Does that make sense? Yeah, I guess. Just one second, let me try. No worries, sir. I'll stay on the line. Sorry for the delay, but yes, perfect. Everything fits now. And I can open and close the drawer. Thank you very much. Wait, one second. Sorry.、Uh, this is hard to explain, but there seems to be darkness coming out of the drawer I just opened. Like a thick, Darkness that's starting to fill the room, swallowing everything, devouring time and space and everything I ever loved. And now the darkness is running out over my hands, and I'm just dreading shadows. Sir, fast, close that drawer.、Oh, I'm so sorry about that. Another customer experienced the exact same problem this morning. Did you do step number nine before step number seven and number 14 before 11? You have to be very careful with the order of the steps if you want to avoid the end of time. Oh no, sorry. I thought you'd said 13 before 11. Sorry, I'll, I'll try again. One second. No problem. I'll hold the line. Done. I think it's fine now. Sorry I got confused before. My mistake. Thanks again. You're more than welcome, sir. We are here to help. Is there anything else you need today? No, thank you so much. Wait, one second. Just one other thing. There seems to be a faint whisper coming out of the third drawer. It's actually getting louder. There are several voices, and they're calling my name? Let me open it. I want to know what they're saying. I want to follow them. Do not open that drawer, sir. Those are the voices of the dead coming to claim you and drag you to their sunless realm where nothing ever grows. Please do not open the drawer. Oh, okay. Okay, I was just curious, but I've closed it now. I thought I'd done it right this time. I see. Unfortunately, the product you purchased seems to be slightly faulty, and I'm afraid that there's nothing else that we can do at this point. You're going to have to discard it. 
Of course, we will give you a full refund, and you're more than welcome to visit our in-store restaurant for some tasty meatballs on the house. To dispose of the chest of drawers safely, you just need to burn it at midnight under the light of a blood moon. Make sure to drop a few tears into the flames just to be on the safe side. Our friendly team will collect the ashes the following day. Well, that's quite inconvenient. Did you mention free meatballs, though? Yes, unlimited free meatballs for a year. Wow, that's so cool. Thank you so much. I will burn the chest of drawers. Thanks. Don't forget the blood moon. You can expect the refund and the meatball voucher in two to three working days. Is there anything else that you need today, sir? That was Irene Cantazano Bescos's The Surstromings Chest of Drawers, as read by Drew Mallory. Drew Mallory is a research psychologist and interventionist who works on issues that affect vulnerable populations. When not narrating or voice acting, he authors his own dark fiction. Drew currently lives in Belgium, where he works on sustainability issues, and like every good psychologist, is accompanied by his pet rats. Thank you, Drew. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. Our second story tonight comes from Shanoa Carol Brad. Shanoa Carol Brad lives in Southern California with her brother and dancing dog. She makes some killer vegan bacon and has been learning German in order to sing along with her favorite band. Come say hi at facebook.com slash sbcbfiction for free fiction, information on previous publications, and links to live readings, visit 
sbcbfiction.net. Links will be in the show notes. Listen with me, children of the night, to Shanoa Carol Brad's Demons Drink Free, first published in The Last Diner, 2014. The burnt-out neon sign on the cafe roof still read Jay's, but poor Jay Crocker had been dead for two years. Those in the know, if their twisted jaws and forked tongues could make the human sounds, called it Mavel's. Mavel Dorset was a good Christian for 47 years, right up until the rapture, which began on a clear Tuesday morning like any other. Mavel followed her usual routine, rising at five, showering, teasing up her hair, and painting on a smile so she could get to the cafe by six to start the coffee brewing. A few of her regulars came in that fateful morning, and she brought them their usual burgers and slices of pie, each plate served with a cup of strong black coffee. Mabel took a certain pride in her coffee, modest though she was in all other respects. Around 10 a.m., a family of four came in and settled in the right corner booth, their eyes downcast, their tones hushed. Mavel found their somber clothes strange, like they were headed to a particularly casual funeral. When she bustled over with the menus, none of them would meet her eye, as if there were something on her face they were all too kind to point out. The kids ordered milk, the parents chose water, no ice, and when Mavel offered them her world-famous coffee, it'll perk you right up. The mother pursed her lips. We don't approve of the use of stimulants, she said, as if Mavel had offered them a steaming mug of cocaine. Shaking her head, she went to fill their drink order, pausing to greet Big Eddie, her burger with fries hold the pickles, light mayo, regular. Weird bunch over there, she muttered. Eddie looked up with a smear of ketchup on his cheek. Mavel grabbed a napkin and wiped it away like a busy mother. Real quiet, real odd. Eddie glanced over his shoulder at the family, who had joined hands and bowed their heads in prayer around the little Formica table. Then he went back to stuffing fries in his face without comment. Mavel poured two glasses of milk for the kids and came around the corner to deliver them when something caught her attention outside. A flash in the sky, like a silent silver firework, or a lightning strike with no thunder. She stared, unblinking, until the flash burned itself onto her retinas. Only once the light faded did she return her attention to the corner booth, and when she did, Mavel nearly dropped the glasses of milk. The booth was deserted. 
where each person had sat, now lay neat piles of empty clothes. She looked up just in time to see a man's glowing foot disappear through the ceiling. Mavel did drop the milk then. The rapture, she screamed. It's the rapture. The rapture's come to take us up to heaven. Cheeks flushed and positively giddy, Mavel untied her apron and whipped it over her head, dropping it to the linoleum floor as she dashed outside to embrace the sunshine. The Lord could not have picked a more beautiful day to end the world. To her right, a car squealed and lost control on the sun-baked highway, running off the road in a plume of dust as a glimmering man passed through the roof and rose up into the sky. Okay, me next, Mavel whispered. I've been good, Lord. I've been more humble than the rest. It's my time now, my time for reward. She knelt in the pebbly parking lot, clasping her hands before her and resting her forehead on the upraised knuckles, praying, begging to be drawn up into that holy light. Mavel stayed there on her knees for nearly half an hour, before Big Eddie came to get her laying a heavy hand on her shoulder. She turned her face up to him, her red eyes leaking mascara-blackened tears, her bright red lips quivering, waiting for a kind word from her regular, something to put her soul at ease. "'Can you come inside now so I can pay?' he said. "'Otherwise I'll be late for work.' Mavel's painted lips pulled back over teeth stained from smoking. She shoved away his hand, struggling to her feet in order to brush pebbles and debris from her dented knees. She'd always stood on her own, and that was the way things were going to stay, apocalypse or no apocalypse. Not long after that, the handsome drifter came her way, looking like a grunge rocker from the 90s, back when she'd still had hope and a trim figure. He'd stopped in for a chat and a cup of joe, made her feel safe and useful, like life still had a purpose. He didn't stay long, but when he set out down the highway once more, he left her his favorite pen as a memento. That had been nearly three years ago. Four more until the tribulation would end, and one side, or the other would prove victorious. Until then, Mavel's was a way station for the hungry, the weary, and the lost. Today dawned brightly, just as it had on that rapturous morn, and Mavel was already hard at work mopping the floors. The once-flat linoleum was cracked and peeling, scored in some places by the rake of claws, and a short scar bisected the countertop from where the swing of a holy sword went wide. No matter how many times she told the forces of good and evil to leave their quarrels outside, somebody always thought the rules didn't apply to them. It never ended well for the cafe or for Mavel's mop bucket. Demon blood was hell on the drains. After mopping, Mavel dusted the window sills and countertops, giving a quick brush to the twin signs in the window, each dying a slow death from sun fading. The help-wanted sign had been there since Jay died, 
but Mavel's customers were always travelers passing through. No one wanted to stay and try to set down roots out here in the dust and heat and grit. Her guests were always headed off to some bunker their cousin had read about, or a supposed safe zone just a few states over. To Mavel, they always sounded like hopeful children writing letters to Santa, describing all the things they wished could be real. The young, poor travelers were her favorite, the filthy little lambs who couldn't care for themselves now that Mommy and Daddy had been raptured, or, far more likely, killed. They never had anything worth bartering, and nine times out of ten were only too glad to sign up for her credit system. Free food and drink until the end of the tribulation for just the cost of a signature. Just like writing a check in the old days before the banks became public mausoleums. Collecting signatures helped Mavel fight the loneliness of spending her last years on earth in an empty cafe. It cheered her to know she'd see them all again, eventually, once the war was over and it came time to pay up. Mavel had lost track of the days long ago, but it felt like a Friday morning edging toward afternoon. She had just gotten the floor dry when a battered truck pulled up in front of the cafe right over the asphalt where she had knelt and prayed those years ago. A dusty man got out, unshaven and bearing a foul disposition. He stopped outside the big front windows, unbroken through what one could only suppose was a miracle, and read the two signs there, back and forth over and over, as if the act of reading one made him forget the other. At last he stepped inside. Sweat beaded his cheeks and upper lip, and he glared about the place as he wiped it away. No air conditioning? Mabel smiled. Nope. Enjoy the heat, honey. It's only going to get worse. He grunted and seated himself at the counter, looking up and down the scarred bar. Menus? Mavel took the pencil from behind her ear and used it like a baton to point out the chalkboard easel by the door. Today's specials, it declared, through a haze of permanent chalk dust. He frowned at the offerings. Dark circles ringed his eyes, and the lines of his face were drawn tight, as if he hadn't slept well in weeks. Any meat? Mavel twiddled the pencil between two fingers. There's meat in the chili, mostly squirrels and the like. Won't be able to do much better until I get a delivery. She leaned closer. You got barter? He patted a dirty pocket, but didn't answer, eyes still on the menu board. Sign outside said you were looking for help. Mavel sized up the stranger with a frown. She knew his look. He wasn't one to stay. Mm-hmm, she said. He looked at her then. How about I work off a meal? Do the dishes, sweep, whatever. His gaze went past her to the kitchen doors. Mavel pursed her lips. Not looking for temporary help. I need a full-time commitment. She cocked her head. You look like a prime candidate for credit, though. 
That got his attention. The dusty man perked up. You offer credit? His expression immediately cooled, and he looked her up and down as if appraising a used car. On what terms? Mavel knew she wasn't much to gander at, but neither was he. She wiped his road dust off the counter with a gray rag, trying not to look too offended. Just takes one little signature to make your meal free. The stranger grinned. He was young enough, she supposed, and had probably been some kind of handsome before the tribulations began. He lifted his nose to the air. Coffee, too? Mavel nodded. Coffee, too. Normally, it's decaf only for humans, unless they're dining on credit. Gotta save the good stuff for my regulars. The man chuckled and jabbed a thumb at the front window. Yeah, I saw your sign. Demons drink free. <laughs> Funny stuff. Mavel crossed her spotted hands on the counter. Her nails matched her lipstick today. Not that it mattered. No one saw her as a woman anymore, no matter what she painted red. Yep, she said. I'm hilarious. Is that a yes to the credit? The stranger nodded. Yes, ma'am, you've got yourself a deal. Mavel dug behind the counter to fetch her guest book and a sleek gold-toned pen that would have looked right at home on an embezzling CEO's desk. Here you are, she said, sliding it across the counter. Just pick a line, sign it, and I'll get you some grub. The stranger studied the crowded paper before him, adjusting his grip on the pen. This is just a list of names, he said cautiously. That's right. He chewed his stubbly lower lip. I thought there'd be some kind of form or a promise to pay or something. He glanced up. How can you collect payment if you're just taking down names? You don't even have an address column. Mavel slowly fetched a coffee cup and set it by the machine. She made a big show of checking the pot, sniffing it, and swirling the dark liquid against the light. That did the trick. The man signed. What her womanly wiles were too rusty to accomplish, her world-famous coffee could still achieve. Ow! Damn it! The stranger hissed, dropping the pen as if it had bit him. A single drop of blood welled from his fingertip and fell onto the page, sucked away into the swoop and curve of his signature. What kind of... Mavel clucked her tongue. Sorry, hon, should have warned you. That pen can pinch if you're not careful. She scooped up the guest book and handed him his coffee. The stranger looked like he might have more to say, then shook his head and took a sip. His face flushed with immediate appreciation. Any cream? Mavel smirked. Son, does this look like a dairy farm? Ain't been milk around here for years. Besides, she crossed her arms over her sagging chest. It'd be a sin to dilute my coffee. It's perfect just the way it is. He took another sip and nodded. It is mighty fine. He set down the cup and gestured to the front window signs again, as if he were trying to hitch a ride from her. 
You haven't actually seen a demon, have you? Mavel gave him a long look. I've seen lots of things since the rapture. Gangs, murders, people acting like animals. She pursed her lips. I do my best to keep this cafe peaceful. The world may be going to hell outside, but I keep order in here. The stranger glanced at the scar on the countertop to his left. When I can, she amended. Did you want the chili after all, or can I get you something else? Chili, please, ma'am. Mavel nodded. I'll just be a minute. Don't bother trying to rob the place. I ain't got anything worth stealing, unless you got a craving for plastic seats and cheap silverware. She slipped through the kitchen doors to fetch the stranger's meal. After 14 years of service in the cafe, Mavel knew all the squeaks and clicks of the place, and as she ladled up a bowl of chunky red-brown chili, she heard the stranger inspecting the dead cash register. Money had lost all value since the rapture, but habits don't die of old age. If she had anything to hide, she conceded, it would be in there. Mavel got a spoon, huffed on it, and shined it on her apron. She didn't blame him for checking. No one ever believed her when she said there was nothing worth stealing. Hope springs eternal in the black hearts of thieves. Mavel made sure her steps were heavy and loud as she approached the dining area, giving him plenty of warning. When she entered, the stranger was just returning to his seat, a guilty look on his face. She gracefully ignored it, setting the bowl before him. Here you are, hon. He tucked in. After the third hasty spoonful, he swallowed hard and looked up at his hostess. Isn't it kind of wild out here? Seems like rough country for a lady like you. Mavel winked. I'm a tough old bird and I don't scare easy. What about you? Where are you headed? The stranger drank some coffee. There's a preacher I keep hearing on the radio. He's calling everybody to the West Coast to assemble by the sea. Says our sins will be washed clean in the salt water and we'll all be raptured at last. He fished a bit of gristle from between his teeth, wiped it on the counter. You should come, too. Mavel fetched a napkin and swiped the counter clean again. That's quite a promise. You believe him? The stranger shrugged. Gotta believe in something. Mavel nodded and leaned her elbows on the counter with a sigh. Can't argue with you there. What about you? What keeps you going out here? Mavel's reply was cut off by an unearthly screech from outside, loud enough to rattle the front windows. Goodness me, what timing! Looks like my delivery's arrived. She came out from behind the counter and stared through the scratched glass, peering around to spot the source of the howl. She heard the stranger swivel on his stool behind her. For a while, nothing moved outside but swirls of dust on the sun-scorched parking lot. Then two figures hurtled down from the cloudless sky, locked in a bloody grappling match. One looked like a handsome winged man wearing brilliant armor, but the other... 
Mavel heard the clink of the bowl hitting the counter as her guest sprang from his seat to join her at the window. The other figure was enormous, with black, hairy skin and huge crimson bat wings. It raked at its shining prey, snapping and biting like a rabid coon. The angel must have lost his weapon somewhere. He smote the demon with his fists, but seemed to inflict no pain until he hit the beast with an armored forearm. The demon roared and fell back, clutching its face where the bright armor had seared the skin bald. Momentarily free, the angel crouched to launch himself aloft, but only got ten feet in the air before the demon caught him by one leg and slammed him onto the dirty asphalt. The demon pounced, smoking all over as the burning armor singed its legs and knees, but refusing to be deterred. It grabbed the angel's head with long, wicked claws and wrenched it around like an apple stem until it pulled free in a blinding spray. Mavel clucked her tongue and retreated behind the counter. She tore the page of signatures from her guest book, tucked it into her pocket, then poured a cup of strong black coffee. The stranger scrambled back from the window as the demon approached with thundering steps, holding the angel's head in one talon and dragging the body with the other. Mavel stepped outside to meet her customer. It threw the body at her feet, splashing her shoes and nylons with bright ichor. Always a pleasure, she said cheerily, holding out the coffee cup. The demon took it with surprising grace, holding the little cup between two claws, pinky out, and downing the scalding brew in one gulp. It placed the empty cup back in Mavel's hands with the same strange delicacy. And here you are. She pulled the guest book page from her apron pocket. My soul's for the month. Got some good ones in there. They'll be great company eventually. The demon took her offering in its free talon. It looked at the paper for a moment, then brought the angel's head up and took a bite out of it like a candy apple. By now, she gave the demon a little shooing wave. I know how busy y'all are, so get. The demon snorted, then turned and launched itself into the air, flapping away on its great leathery wings. Without a word, Mavel walked back inside and erased the chalkboard menu, spreading that graveyard dust into a more even layer of filth. She picked up the stub of chalk and wrote in jagged, squealing letters, Today's specials. Wings, ribs, chef's platter surprise, when she caught the stranger's wild gaze, Mavel shrugged. It's like you said, hon. Gotta believe in something these days, don't you? That was Shanoa Carol Brad's Demons Drink Free, as read by Maureen McLean.
Maureen McLean is an Austin musician plucking the bass with acoustic bands, the Therapy Sisters, and a proper cup of coffee. She earns her keep in the courtroom, interpreting real-life terrifying tales from Spanish to English. Thank you, Maureen. Well, children of the night, the hour is late, and we've run out of tales to tell. For now. Support us on Patreon for access to ad-free episodes and bonus content. Visit patreon.com slash tales to terrify to sign up. Or if PayPal's more your style, you can support us via the link near the bottom of our homepage at talestoterrify.com. And if you've got a minute to spare, we'd love it if you'd pop over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a rating or a review. Ratings and reviews are huge to a volunteer-run podcast like ours. They help us expose more victims, I mean listeners, to our dark influence. Tales to Terrify is produced by Seth Williams, Pete Morsellino, Meredith Morgenstern, Julia Zellman, and myself, Drew Sebastini, with original theme by Nebulous Entertainment. Tales to Terrify is distributed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Join us again next week as we possess your soul with more Tales to Terrify. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.